Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, back home in Southern California, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew, and I can exclusively report, and this is not like an Andrew Sharp reports, this is one you can take to the bank and <laughs> This and is a real report. <laughs> to your heart's content. I can report, Andrew, that you and I are going to be co-starring on a draft show on the night of the draft where we're going to break down every single pick. We're going to be on camera. We're going to probably be talking a lot of mess back and forth between the two of us. We're going to be on there with some of our very trusted and able coworkers, Matt Dollinger and Rohan Nadkarni, uh, two great guys who are going to you know bring a little levity to the situation. We are going to have the open floor globe covered on draft night for analysis all the way through 1 to 30. And Andrew, we've been getting all these people saying, do a live show, stream your podcast, et cetera, et cetera. We are for the draft. So everybody <laughs> should tune in on Thursday night. But, you know, let's not look forward quite well, too much, Andrew. No, no, no. Because I the- really do. I like that you're getting ahead of the promo, okay? I was going to wait until next week to start promoting it, but you're fired up. You had the call like 30 minutes before we came on to record this podcast. And I'm loving the energy out of you. I think I, I'm most excited. We we both have to pick out like draft suits to wear. It's going to be a, a first class event next week in New York. It should be fun. Is this going to be the first suit you've ever owned, or <laughs> what do <are> you? <laughs> I caught some not. flack. I did not wear a suit to those finals games, and there were a couple people who made comments. But I I figure, look, you only need to wear a suit if you're going to be on camera after the game, and so I I kept it a little bit more casual dignified, but just what I, I didn't bring out the suit for the finals. Look, bottom line, if you're cheering and pumping your fist for Rodney Hood for two straight hours, <laughs> you don't want to be sweating through Versace, Andrew. Just wear an American Apparel t-shirt. You'll be good to go. <laughs> exactly. All right. That's the way I went with it. But anyways, uh, how are you feeling, man? I mean, it's been a couple days since the finals. We got a lot to get through. Take me into your world right now. Oh, you know, it's a typical afterglow, and I'm sure we're going to probably spend, what, we probably got an hour, an hour and a half to just talk about Kevin Durant's amazing legacy, right? We're just going to break <laughs> it down in complete detail and, you know, really, t- you know, mention how he's one of, I believe, just six players to win back-to-back finals MVPs. What a rare occurrence, an incredible occurrence that would be up there with some of the greatest names ever, Mike and Akeem and LeBron, and we're just going to go on and on for, what, about an hour about his sensational triple-double at Game 4 to bring the title home. That's what we're going to do, right? (laughs) What does it mean? Yeah, let's talk about KD. Let's argue about KD for another hour and a half. Uh, No, we're not going to do that. But we should start start there. To piggyback on last week's pod, we got an email from Damon who said, Dear Mr. Golliver and Mr. Sharp, I do not know if these are your real feelings on KD or if it's a shtick that you two are milking because it creates heated arguments that draws attention and draws feedback from listeners, almost like the podcast version of First Take. I don't say that flippantly or to disrespect you guys. I honestly have wondered for over a year if your odd couple relationship is an act or not. And... First of all, this is one of several comments I got, both on and (laughs) offline, wondering whether we actually like each other or whether we're just forced to do the podcast together by Sports Illustrated. So let me say for the record, 
Ben and I are real friends, and that's the only reason I feel comfortable calling you a moron half the time. And we just genuinely come at basketball from different directions. So none of this is an act either. It's not shtick. I think this just naturally arises when we're forced to talk about basketball for two hours every week. Yeah, Mr. Damon, I can report that I keep it real. I would never lean into any joke or stance uh, just for humor <laughs> yeah, purposes. Yeah, you wouldn't abide by that whatsoever. No, not not at all. But I do think when you have the same kind of comments and, and arguments over text message and you know in person and over the phone, sometimes on the podcast, you know, it will just take it to the next level. It's like injecting a, a little adrenaline. Uh, into the conversation. Uh, I can admit you've never hurt my feelings, Andrew. You've said an awful lot of mean things to me, and you've certainly called me names, but uh, I've never taken it personally, and I hope the same is true to you. I do think it's funny, though. Damon really came at this the right way. He was very respectful. He called us Mr. Even, which is, that's always a warning sign in the emails, Andrew. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> when, they go to, when they go to the formal titles, it's like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. It's like getting but, called into the principal's office or something. But I've noticed people are trying to separate us, Andrew. It's like Kobe and Shaq. It's like Steph and Katie. And look, we're obviously not on that level, but we can relate to what (laughs) those guys are going through because, you know, at the finals, people are coming up to me and they're saying, hey, Ben, great job on calling Sharp out for uh, cheering on the press row. You know, he's not supposed to be doing that. You know, you really got to like set a firm line or, oh, Andrew's take. You know, it's just so backwards. And I'm I'm sure people are doing the same to you uh, as well. Look, our union is strong, Andrew. They will not break us up. It is. We've got at least another few titles in us over the next few years. But uh, as far as Durant, though, I would like to declare a ceasefire, at least for this week. I feel like we've entered the take zone across the media, like surrounding KD. And to the point where the, like, the whole discussion is just annoying now. Both you and I have said our piece along the way. This playoff run and really the last two years, I wrote a big thing on KD last week. And I just think we're good on this. I, I, like We don't have anything new to say on, on KD. So we can kind of just move on and talk about other aspects of this. Well... You know, Andrew, I'm a peace-loving guy, uh, but you know, you know that about me. I'm I'm not going out of my way for for wars. But I will say this: you know, there was a, a little stage there where I got really into Abraham Lincoln and you know Civil War history, and I just okay. need to clarify: a, a ceasefire requires both sides putting down their weapons. Okay, and what I understand is I'm ready to go another five, ten, fifteen rounds on Katie if necessary to stand up for him. So by you declaring this a ceasefire, I think the word you're looking for is actually surrender. No, I no, think no, no. That's the word. <laughs> the word I did you say? I didn't even hear you. Did you say surrender? Yeah, I said surrender. You hard of hearing now? I said surrender, <laughs> surrender, surrender. No, I am unilaterally declaring a ceasefire. This is not a surrender. This is for the sake of the podcast and coherence we're not just gonna come on here and yell at each other for another 45 minutes today but this is not a surrender i am still correct about everything yeah if you say so can i just say the only point i want to make on kd from game four okay i want to thank the seven brave souls who voted for him for finals mvp because i think the easy pick was steph given how well he played in game four given that he was the face of this, you know, this dynasty for the first couple of years as it was building, given he sort of symbolizes, I think, what Warriors culture is all about. 
to just crown him based on the recency bias of Game 4 would have been the easy decision. I want to really thank people like Rachel Nichols and Howard Beck for doing the right thing and giving KD his Finals MVP award. He was the most consistent, the most dominant player in the series. He came up the biggest when the series was sort of at its breaking point in Game 3. And my eternal gratitude for cementing KD's legacy with that second Finals MVP, I really, truly appreciate it. Okay, well, I'm happy for him, and I'm happy for you. I, that's another one where I have some thoughts on KD winning that MVP <laughs> over Steph, but we're not going to go into it right now. It's that today is about a fresh start for the summer, and we're good. But, I'm trying to reel you back in. I, really <laughs> I know, am. I'm not going to let you bait me into this. Let me say an, another email from Dave here who says, Finally, these playoffs have come to an end. This is the first year that I can recall enjoying the regular season more than the playoffs. This was also the first year I allowed myself to miss even a minute of the NBA Finals since 2009. And this is another case where we got several emails about skipping out on these finals. And I actually think that's pretty fair. But then we also got a bunch of emails talking about how the NBA is is ruined now. And that's that's now kind of a, a talking point, again, across sports media. We're into the take zone here. And I just think that part is super melodramatic. I, I imagine you agree, but what do you think? Well, I'm glad we can agree because I think, first of all, don't dwell on one little portion when we're judging this overall season. The entire 2018 playoffs were a lot better than the 2017 playoffs. No question about it. LeBron turned in a postseason run for the ages. The finals themselves saw a record number of threes from Steph Curry. They saw a triple-double from Kevin Durant. They saw a 51-point game from LeBron. They saw you know a, a defining moment three-pointer from Kevin during the middle of the game of his life in Game 3. I understand that they weren't as competitive. They didn't go seven games, but there was an awful lot to like if you love basketball. And I would say the same thing about the Western Conference Finals. There was legit tension going back and forth. And I know uh, you think it was less tension than a lot of people played up. Uh, and I can understand that standpoint. But, uh, you know, it, it was a chess match, man. Like there was guys getting injured, adjustments. You know, how are these defensive strategies going to work out? There was a lot going on in that series. I really, really enjoyed that Western Conference Finals. And it's one that I'm going to remember I think for years, it's not going to be like my favorite of all time, but it's definitely one that's going to stick with me. Yeah. Um, and, and it was so it when was I, also, we should add, it was much better than anything we got last year. And it was much better yeah. than people expected. I mean, I came into that series kind of rolling my eyes at the idea that it was going to be at all interesting. And it vastly ex exceeded my expectations. Like that was legitimately fun, even if I never really thought the Rockets were going to win the series. Yeah, and I'll say this. I was on the road for 29 straight nights, and there wasn't a single moment where I wanted to go home, uh, period. And I, I, I would admit to you if there was. You know, there's been situations where, like, you know, the travel gets to you, and you're just tired, and you're just like, man, I wish I could just, you know, go home, sleep in my own bed, have, you know, 48 hours to zone out. Okay. And I was ready for a game five if necessary, you know, and Cleveland wasn't. <laughs> but uh, Hold on. I, I, let's be Let's be very clear about something there, though. That is you, okay? That that speaks to how weird you are because I got halfway through the NBA Finals and was like, all right, so the Warriors are going to win this. I miss my wife. I would like to sleep in my own bed. Like Going into game four, I had booked a plane ticket out of Cleveland for the following day because there were like 
no flights available. So there was one seat left on one flight that left at 6.45 in the morning, the, the following morning. And I just had to bite the bullet at 8.30 before tip-off and buy it and hope that Cleveland lost. And uh, so it was it was a tense first half for me, and I was absolutely ready to get home as quickly as possible. Well, you can get on my level next year. I mean, look. I, <laughs> no, Get on the like, Golovin robot level, absolutely. No, look, I can empathize with what you're saying. I mean, I've definitely felt that at times before when you're in the middle of the slog, but I just thought there was enough compelling stuff going on in this playoffs that, you know, when you look back, the playoffs always feels like a marathon, you know, when we started it back in April. But to me, it's like the, the time that we spent trying to, you know, conjure up storylines in March about how do we pass the time, you know, as we wait for the playoffs to start. That time is so much more difficult and trying to me than like this playoff run because the stars came out. You know, if we didn't have these signature performances from LeBron, Katie, and Steph, I think I would have been left with a different taste in my mouth. Uh, but instead, you know, we got it. And by and large, like the injuries that really affected things happened before the playoffs. So we didn't get a Kawhi Leonard right in the middle of the Western Conference Finals. That mm-hmm. to me was a major bummer last year, right? Like that throws the whole postseason out of whack because you know he can't play against Golden State. And I think this year, you know, for the most part, everybody was out there and getting to do what they can do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I come at it a little bit differently than you do. I like I think it would be disingenuous for me to argue that these the last couple weeks have been like a success for the NBA. Um, whereas I don't think that you are being disingenuous. I think you genuinely loved it, and that's totally yeah, fine. I, but I, I'm not saying I'm not saying anything about that. I'm not saying oh it was a, a huge win for the NBA. I'm just okay. saying it's a win for me. That's yeah, all. <laughs> <laughs> which is perfectly fair. I think that the NBA finals may have sucked. But you can then turn around and compare it to something like the NFL, where the Super Bowl was amazing this year, but the rest of football season was awful. And if the NBA is the inverse of that, where we have 10 months a year that are hilarious and great, and then the playoffs with the KD Warriors are kind of a buzzkill, I would still take that trade. And I, and I think that it, as far as the topic around media right now, I think that there's a lot of room between the NBA is broken and then saying the NBA isn't perfect, but it's still fun as hell. Like 90% of the time, like I wrote about it in the uh, KD column, but for me, the analogy is, is game of Thrones. Like I watched that show and every time they feature the dragons, my eyes kind of glaze over just because like they come in and burn everyone and every battle ends in like 30 seconds and just that whole like plot line is not that interesting to me and that's sort of where i put the warriors right now but everything else on game of thrones is great and completely addictive and watching all the humans trying to kill each other and scheme and double cross each other and that's what the rest of the nba is to me i think that the the warriors are the dragons that are technically what the show is about, but then the rest of the league is like 10 times more interesting and more fun. And so now that the finals are over, we can kind of enjoy the chaos everywhere else. Yeah, you know, God forbid we have a, you know, a dominant NBA team full of dragons. Let's just get some interchangeable <laughs> white guys with beards. That's going to save the NBA. No, we I'm just kidding. More I, I white guys. Absolutely. No. Look, I just got completely lost. I don't know anything about that show. But can I make one point on the idea of, oh, the NBA has been ruined by the Warriors? Okay. Um, 
to me, I understand what people are saying, but we need to remember that the NBA owners were presented with the exact dilemma they're in right now when they agreed to extend the collective bargaining agreement. They reached that agreement with the Players Union in December 2016. Mm KD was already a member of the Warriors at that point. He had already made his horrible decision that everyone kills him for, right? They knew what they were in for. And when they agreed to those terms, they did not radically restructure the way things were going, right? They basically just signed up and said, hey, let's take an extension from the previous uh, deal, you know, and let's run this out. We're all making so much money. We're so happy. So I don't think that people can have it both ways. Like if you're one of these rival owners and you're all mad at the Warriors for accumulating talent or whatever, like you had your chance with your vote on the on the deal or to push harder during those negotiations to really change the way uh, the NBA views competitive balance and you chose not to. You took the money. So I don't, I guess to me, if fans are upset because their team doesn't have a chance, I completely understand that. That's a more emotional decision. But if we're looking at this on a logical level from like other owners or other teams or like on the league level itself, everyone agreed that this was okay because they didn't, you know, turn the Kevin Durant decision into a lockout or a shutdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I would add there is, as far as overall health, I, I do think that the NBA is healthier now than it really ever has been. Um, basically, until you get to the NBA Finals, and then we have to watch the KD Warriors and try to like talk ourselves into that. Um, but I think other than that, the league is doing very well. Your point on the collective bargaining side of things, I think the way the league looked at it and the owners looked at it is... The toothpaste was sort of already out of the tube with Durant in Golden State, and you couldn't go back and say, like, I think had there been a way to undo the lack of cap smoothing that occurred in 2016, they like the owners would have unanimously voted against what happened there. Uh, but I think that like that happened, and there was just no way to turn back and but beyond that the system does work fairly well it creates a, a league that will generally have four or five really good teams and then a group b- beneath them and then a group at the bottom that are kind of tanking and trying to regenerate and i think like it it is the the system is calibrated well it just didn't account for that one kind of uncapped year that created this Warriors team. And uh, and that has thrown things off. But I think in a year or two or three, like we'll, we'll return to normal and be in a good spot with the CBA. Yeah, I hear you. I just, if they were really that upset about it, and that's sort of been some of the reporting here in the last couple of days, like, I mean, Adam Silver floated out the idea of a hard cap or at least a harder cap during his uh, finals press conference. And you know, something along those lines, like if you were the owners and you really wanted to, you know, harden up the cat, that probably means you're going to have to give a larger percentage of the BRI back to the players just in that right. negotiation, right? But if you're these other owners and you're you're that fed up with the Warriors, I mean, you're at this position where you want to just like scream and yell about super teams and you need the competitive balance, at some point, sacrificing some of your own money for your chance to win uh, would need to arise during those uh, collective bargaining agreement negotiations. And as far as we could tell, that just didn't really get a lot of traction because they agreed to the deal so quickly. So yeah, um, and I, I guess I that's one reason. Been, I think it would have been a mistake for them to do that, just to be clear. That's that's what I'm saying, is I think that would have been yeah. overreacting too far in the other direction and would not have served the the best interests of the league long term. 
That's fine. I'm not arguing one way or the other whether they should do it or not. All I'm saying is if you're going to blame the Warriors for quote-unquote ruining the NBA, a big chunk of that blame should go towards your own team's owner for just going along with the system that kept it you know, pretty much status quo from the way it was when the Warriors were assembled. That's all. That's my only real point. And we just need to have that context here. I think that they're just taking a little bit too much of the criticism, which is natural because they're very successful and they're, you know, pretty arrogant as Steve Kerr admitted after game four. Um, But, you know, I just think that they're not the only uh, bad actors, quote unquote, uh, in this, uh, in this environment. And the NBA isn't ruined. It's just there's just a certain a, a specific Warriors conversation that is kind of played out at at this point. But it's like the rest of the league is fine. But before we move on, the Warriors did win the NBA championship. So two more questions on Golden State. First from Kelly, she asks, "How have you seen KD grow with the Warriors, and what's next from here? It feels like they have finally started to crack the Steph KD pairing and aren't even close to their ceiling. But what will it take to get them to an even higher level? What do you think, Ben? Well, this does not feel like a ceasefire at all, Andrew. It's like you're just handing me ammunition and saying, "Go out there and do it." I love it. <laughs> I'm um, ceding the floor th- to you because I feel obligated to acknowledge that the Warriors just won an NBA championship. So I'm gonna let you run point for two minutes here. Yeah, real quick. I mean, I think it's three improvements we've seen from KD that have been, you know, pretty well discussed and we, we've discussed them. But first, shot selection. I mean, Golden State's system, even when they go to isolation with KD, produces such better shots. And it's not just the system. It's also the talent that's on the floor around him. Uh, the, the quality of his looks compared to OKC uh, is night and day. He was an incredible scorer with the Thunder, but incredible scorers look even better when they're given great scoring chances and opportunities. Uh, that's what Katie's got. Second, I think he has improved uh, as a passer and playmaker in terms of reading the defenses. And again, he's not elite. You know, I kind of you know nitpicked him you know quite a bit during that Houston series because he had really had some struggles, but he's gotten better at that. And you could tell as the series in the finals wore on. Uh, not only Kevin, but Steph and, and Draymond were really picking apart Cleveland's defense because they, they would just put him through too many switches and too much off-ball stuff, and then eventually Cleveland would kind of uh, you know give up or, or mentally lapse, and the pass would be on time and on target for either an open three-pointer or a layup or a dunk. And, and Kevin, that was never really his game in Oklahoma City. Again, fine passer, but not kind of this pinpoint type of guy within a system. And right. then defensively, his effort has just been a lot better. Uh, you know, he was starting to figure it out in Oklahoma City, but he has improved uh, his effort, his intensity on the defensive end, and he's done it in you know big pressure moments, um, sort of like he did in that 2016 Western Conference Finals uh, against Golden State. And those are really his improvements. In terms of their ceiling with, with Steph and KD together, um, I think they're pretty darn close to their ceiling, Andrew. I mean, I, you look at last year, 16-1 and one through the postseason. I mean, that's really, really difficult uh, to replicate. You know, I would, wouldn't be surprised at all if even if they win another title uh, or two here together, that they never have a more dominant postseason run than they did that first one together. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard to replicate in part because they other teams are going to load up now and it's going to get tougher going going forward. Um I would say, though, it did sort of feel like things were shakier this year than they were last year, and were probably shakier this year than they will be next year, because there were some real chemistry things 
that you could see on the court and that were apparently playing out behind the scenes, according to Sean Livingston and David West. And, and I just think that it does seem like they kind of came through that adversity and, uh, Next year, there aren't going to be six centers on the roster, and they're going to probably work on filling out that bench a little bit smarter. And Steph and KD, as far as a pairing, like they may have even more chemistry in next year's playoffs than they did this season. And so it's it's kind of crazy to think about after they just dominated the finals. And I, I don't want to give them too much credit for appearing to have everything figured out against the Cavs team that had absolutely no shot. But like the ceiling is doing this for another couple years and they could very well do that because they just, their games work so well together. I think if you're, if you're asking like, how do, how do we see a version of them totally maxed out? I think you would have to take Draymond off the roster and then it would be Steph and KD running pick and rolls and everything runs through those two guys because as it is now Draymond gets like half of the possessions because that's really like the only role that he makes sense in on offense is if he's the creator and things are running through him and he's good at that but like Steph and KD could be great at that as well and so to answer her question that would be my one like idea I guess if we want to see them maxed out. Yeah, and I also think, you know, a fully healthy year for Steph where he comes into the playoffs with a complete rhythm and feeling great about his body and his shots fine, uh, fine-tuned and everything else like that, that would raise their ceiling too. Because when, you know, they, they looked even more dominant probably in this postseason when Steph really had it going um, than last year because of some of the chemistry stuff that you're talking about. But he just didn't have it night to night. That's not his fault. He got thrown into the middle of the playoffs after, you know, a pretty extended absence with a knee injury so uh, maybe I should amend what I said earlier like if Steph gets back to you know being completely healthy MVP type numbers you know plays 80 games next season and you know is out there gutting for his first finals MVP next year like they could probably do another 16 and one postseason it's possible like we shouldn't we shouldn't rule that out but I do think KD is awful close to what I see as his ceiling as a player right now I mean this run surpassed my expectations for him in terms of how well he played in the finals and uh, he's getting to the point where like his weaknesses are things I'm not totally sure he can improve on you know like right how much better of a passer can he become right how much like stronger of a defensive rebounder can he become I think he's kind of right there at his peak right now maybe I'll be proven wrong with that Uh, I like to be surprised but uh, I think he's pretty much right there as an individual talent Okay, now let's go the other direction very quickly. Duncan says, Thinking about Durant's decision in 2016 has taken me to some dark places. I'm finding that my dream offseason now involves Kevin Durant signing a long-term extension with the Warriors, and then Clay goes off on a three-year drug-fueled walkabout in China. Draymond finally unleashes his inner fat kid and eats his way up to 400 pounds. And then Steph trips on a patch of barbecue sauce that Draymond has spilled and his ankles shatter into a million pieces like chalk. Am I being too harsh? And first of all, I will add that Clay's three-year drug-fueled walkabout in China would be amazing and make the entire Warriors run worth it. I think like... The same way we sent Marbury 
over to China. Marbury was was not great at that point, but if we sent like a superstar at the peak of his powers over to China for five years, like Clay could could own that country and it would be awesome. But beyond that, a serious question for you. I'm, I'm curious, you and I have not really talked about this. How do you think the Warriors dynasty will come undone? It's a great question. I mean, the real takeaway from the end of game four was Kerr essentially saying like, hey, this is our new reality. We just win titles, deal with it, right? And Joe Lacob uh, saying essentially like, look, we're just getting started. Like we plan to have this thing run out forever. And you look at the fact that they're going to be moving to a new building. Uh, they're going to be able to charge even more for ticket prices. They're going right. to be able to absorb basically any luxury tax stuff uh, that, that they so- want. And, and then... That's the thing. We've talked all along about how this is going to get so expensive and like the the system is designed to break these teams up, but like it sure sounds like Lake Up and everyone out there is prepared to pay like astronomic uh luxury tax bills. Or is it astronomic or astronomical? A- astronomical, but don't worry, you know, we're not uh, Galileo <laughs> over here. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the only thing I'd <laughs> I- I'd say I mean, the KD signing proved that their pitch is pretty darn good, right? So I think the extent to this Warriors dynasty becomes how can they replicate the recruitment effort of a big-time player? And, you know, the rumors have been out there for a long time. Like, they've got their eye on Anthony Davis. Like, are the same conditions that uh, attracted Durant to the Bay Area and the Warriors and their culture and their team and winning and all that stuff – going to be able to lure a guy like Anthony Davis once he's in a position to really dictate his future, right? Uh, I got to be honest, I if I was Anthony Davis, I'd be really interested in playing for the Warriors, you know, especially <laughs> if you you look at the how the Kevin Durant experience went. So usually when we talk about wh- how do teams end, right, or how does the era end, you kind of pinpoint like Steph will be like 34. So whenever that comes up, you know, in, in a few years, that's when they're going to start to tail off. Other teams will catch up to him. I think this has a chance to be kind of Spurs-like in their ability to reload and reform themselves here. Uh, and we shouldn't necessarily be thinking about this group having a hard endpoint. It might look different. They might just make Western Conference Finals instead of being runaway champions. But I don't anticipate the Warriors you know, being outside of the conversation of contenders for at least the next five years, if not longer. Okay, so the Spurs, except instead of reloading with like, Danny Green and Fabricio Alberto. <laughs> we're, we're adding Anthony Davis. Perfect. Um, I would just add two things. One, I am dead serious. Well, do you, wait. Do you agree? Do you agree with that though? I mean, or no? Um, I think that there's certainly that potential. I, I think that there. I I do think that if KD wins another two titles here, he's going to find that it may make sense for him to go somewhere else. And I think that's a real possibility. That's not me like trolling or whatever. I I think that for him and his brand and what he, the legacy that he wants to lead, uh, like I think that that is going to be something that's worth considering. Um, I think that Clay going over to China and becoming like, the biggest athlete in that country's history is um, would be amazing, and that's unfortunately not going to happen. But if we're having serious conversations about what could undo the Warriors, I would bet that a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff was centered on Draymond this year, 
And I think that that is going to be something to watch going forward. I, I think Draymond's probably like f- amazing to go to war with in the playoffs and probably exhausting to be around on a daily basis over the course of like eight or nine months every year. And uh, that's just going to be something that like the team has to weigh and, and the front office has to weigh. And uh, so I, and as far as your Anthony Davis idea, like, that would be so extreme that I bet you like the league would try to intervene to keep that from happening. Yeah, I mean, if it happened this summer, you know, then it's time for a <laughs> like, shutdown, right? I honestly, <laughs> like, I think, I think Adam Silver gets on the phone at that point and says, "Look, this has been great, but like we need to draw a line. This is not happening." Yeah, and I'm not saying it's going to happen this summer, but couldn't you foresee a situation three years down the line where, you know, Draymond's no longer in the picture and maybe KD is ready to move on? Like you're reporting, you know, you said if he has four titles, he'll have enough in Golden State. And I'm sure (laughs) uh, everyone will understand how, you know, that's unimpeachable report. But uh, you could just see them reloading in kind of a different way, right? That's that was my point. I'm just using him as a high profile example because his name has been out there in reports, uh, you know, previously as being like a, a target of interest. Yeah, I'm just saying, like when you have a brand new stadium in an awesome market with a huge brand and a gigantic platform and all the Silicon Valley opportunities and everything else, that stuff's not going to just dry up. You know, they've really transformed their culture to be a destination that guys want to play for. You see it in terms of who they're able to get, whether it's like David West. Um, you know, or like Nick Young, even, you know, he probably had more money last year uh, on the available market, but, he, you know, he decides to go to Golden State. I mean, it kind of works for everybody. People understand that you know, that's a pretty good place to be. And I hear what you're saying about Draymond. I mean, frankly, I think KD's right in the middle of a lot of their drama, too. You know, I think th- yeah. that was some of the tension. It's like, how do you keep him happy? Uh, how do you make sure, you know, he's feeling, you know, valued and, and content and everything else? I think that was uh, another issue. And, you know, Draymond's not. Uh, shy about pushing every anybody's buttons and i can see that being sort of a a tension point between the two of those guys as well well it's interesting whether whether the payroll is astronomic or astronomical i think we both agree that money is not going to be what breaks this team up and it's strange to sit here like three days after the finals and i think we both agree that the warriors are going to win next year too is that correct they would be the heavy favorites for sure. Yeah, it, it, that's just a—it's a bizarre feeling. But I mean, we came on here after after 2017, and we said they're going to win again next year. We said the exact same thing. Yeah, well, that's the era that we are in right now. But on that note, let's move on. We got a couple LeBron questions, but first, Ben, today's episode of Open Floor is sponsored by LinkedIn. Tell us about LinkedIn. Andrew, have you ever tried to hire someone? It's hard. But it doesn't have to be thanks to LinkedIn. A business is only as good as its people and every hire matters. So don't settle for posting and hoping the right person will find your role and apply. You're not shooting fish at a barrel, okay? LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's a better way to find great talent. Joe Lacob's probably on there right now advertising for Anthony Davis. You know, we need a 6'11", long-arm, two-way force, future MVP. But look, 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn and businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than normal job boards at delivering quality candidates. Start your super team today on LinkedIn. (laughs) Nice way to keep it basketball themed. Yeah, 
You post to job boards and you'll hope that you'll find the right person for your job. But think about it, Ben. How often do you check job boards? Never. (laughs) Well, for most people, it's pretty occasional at best. But there is a place where people go daily to grow professionally and explore job opportunities. And that place is LinkedIn. You already know it as the world's largest professional network. Well, now LinkedIn is also a better way to find great talent. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who have posted to LinkedIn over the past year. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry, even yours and mine. If you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you're missing out. You're really screwing up. Go to linkedin.com slash floor and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash floor for your $50 credit today. As always, Andrew, terms and conditions apply. There are always terms and conditions. And now let's do a quick couple questions on LeBron here. I do. I have a Hold feeling. Hold on. What? Slow down, though. I You get to ask me questions all day long. I want to ask you one LeBron question. And it's admittedly, I'm trying to you know get you into one of your hot take zones. But okay. let me just ask you point blank. In game four, did LeBron quit? <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. I, I, I think he was hurt and exhausted, and we even saw some of that in the. And I'm not even talking about the hand necessarily. Like he had turned his ankle in Game Three. I just at that point, LeBron was so clearly outgunned, and he had been he had so many miles on him from the last two months that I didn't look at it and say, "This is LeBron checking out." Did you? Well, here's why I want to ask, because remember coming into the finals, like the amount of hype around, oh, he had pretty much almost won a title just by winning the Eastern Conference with this group. And he goes into game one and he puts up 51 easily, right? Yeah. If I had told you at that point, either before or after game one, that in the elimination game of the series, LeBron would finish with 23 points and only 13 shots. He would only take three shots in the second half. It would be his fewest points in an elimination game since 2011 finals against the Mavericks when everybody accused him of checking out. And it would be his fewest shots ever in an elimination game during his entire career after we had just previously watched him win really dramatic game sevens against both Boston and Indiana. Wouldn't you have responded by saying, there's no way that's going to happen. That's that's not how this story is going to end for LeBron. You know, well, <laughs> to me. It was pretty strange. I mean, especially in the second half, he was passing an awful lot. He was over-deferring. I'm not personally saying he's quitting. I don't like to use that word, especially Uh about LeBron. But there was something going on in Game 4. And he caught a lot of heat from former players. You know, I'm sure you you saw Grant Hill and and Barkley and some other guys were were pretty upset with LeBron showing there. I didn't think that criticism came from nowhere. It's funny because... Honestly, if you had asked me after game one and presented that stat line, I would have said, actually, that sounds about right. That tracks with a lot of what we've seen from LeBron <laughs> over the years. Like, but I think what may, what may have skewed my perception is, again, I was going into game four like praying for a Cavs loss. And so I saw LeBron's effort and was like, hey, that, that makes sense to me. Like, I, I don't want to do this for another four days either. So I I can't really crush him for it. Is that fair? Uh, 
Yeah, you sound like a quitter backing up another quitter. So you, <laughs> no, no, look, I'm just here's kidding. the thing. Here's the thing. LeBron knew that get, winning game one was the best chance Cleveland was going to have to steal this series. And he was so unbelievable in game one that I, I can't crush him at all, really, because he emptied the clip and did everything he could to try and win this series. He was also good in game two when he his shooting was off and like... I just, I mean, it's just hard to to kill him for a game four where everyone was going into that game knowing that the Warriors had already won the title. Yeah, he seemed pretty resigned. I thought his reaction, not only in the moment after J.R. Smith's blunder, but also in the days afterwards where he was essentially asking the media, like, what more do you want me to do? I thought that was such a human response from LeBron. And we always forget that LeBron's human. We love to compare him to like superheroes and, you know, legends and we call him the king and everything else. Like this guy is a human. Uh, and I think he just lost control of the rope, you know, to to borrow the, the fa- famous coaching cliche, it applied to LeBron too. I think Golden State in their overwhelming performance in game three, Kevin's, you know, shot down the stretch. And then just the way Steph started game four, he just got to he he came to that same conclusion that we all concluded probably before the season started, which is Cleveland doesn't have enough talent right. uh, to compete here. And then afterwards, you know, also at other points during the series, he was mentioning how he didn't feel like they had enough mentally to kind of be a championship team either. And that that comment really jumped out to me because. I mean, if I'm one of his teammates, I'm like, what, do you want me to take the SAT? Like, what are you trying to say here? Like, well, you're questioning us. Uh, you know, I, I felt like that was not the best look. But again, it was an accurate assessment from LeBron. They were outthought, they were outlasted, and they were out-talented by Golden State in this series. And again, I'm not crushing him for the Game 4 performance, but I did think he went more meekly than I expected in that last game. Okay. Uh, well, let's do... Like, like here's here's a contrast. Like, would Westbrook have played that game in Game 4? And you know how I feel about Westbrook, right? Like, I don't think he plays with a purpose. I think he just plays with purpose. But to me, <laughs> LeBron played with neither in Game 4, right? You just I mean, it couldn't was, resist it was, going back to the purpose well. Uh, yes, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's fair, but Westbrook is an insane person, and I don't put it on LeBron for not being insane enough to think that, like, he should... This is all about me being glad that the finals are over, and I'm grateful to LeBron for ending it early, if that's the way he played it. Okay, fair enough. Okay, now (laughs) ask your questions. I asked you mine. Okay, two questions here. Uh, We're going to save the LeBron free agency stuff. We can hit that Friday, I guess. The first is from Jeremy, who says, LeBron averaged 44, 8.6, and 10.6 in three finals games with a broken right hand. What does that do to the LeBron versus Jordan debate? Was that more impressive than the flu game? And what if, instead of just earning that Terminator eye from the Draymond poke in game one, LeBron had lost an eye entirely and came back to play games two through four wearing an eye patch? Does Pirate LeBron have an impact on the LeBron versus Jordan legacy debate? Do you have any thoughts there? Was the cast necessary after game four? Um, you know what? I thought that was he was laying it on a little thick there, in in my opinion. Yeah, I mean a whole postseason of it. I mean he did a he had a masterful podium postseason. I thought the the brace was really. I mean when, once you start bringing accessories to your podiums, that's how you know you're the real podium MVP. Uh, I it, it felt a little bit like you know those slip and fall attorneys. You know like Better Call Saul. 
uh, where they like put their little defendants <laughs> yeah, or, totally. you know, or their uh, their put clients the up there race. on the stage. Yeah, I mean, should he have been in bandages head to toe afterwards? I mean, it it seemed a little bit much given that he had played with with it, and I had I hadn't noticed his hand, but I was kind of watching him very carefully in the day after game one, and he was taking extra shots at that practice and hitting a lot of them. So I guess I'm a little dubious of how much that impacted him, but I do think the fatigue factor, which you mentioned earlier, certainly that was that was pretty obvious that the series unfolded like. His best effort was game one, and, and he really struggled to match that uh, from an intensity standpoint. Yeah. But I don't think this loss changes much about his legacy. Um, okay, because that was the second other than, question that we got, is is what does this sweep do for LeBron's legacy? And Joseph said, please answer with savage honesty, not the fealty that the media likes to give LeBron these days. I'm tired of hearing them lavish praise on him just for making the finals. He played no one in the East. So I'm kind of with you. I think that there's going to be like long-term deference toward LeBron because this Warriors team is so ridiculous and just generally absurd. Uh, And I think that people are going to kind of put an asterisk next to like all of these finals losses for him. Um, But is that why you think that this doesn't really change anything? Um, I think... You know, the longer the Warriors are successful, the more LeBron is going to be sort of looked at through their prism a little bit. And it's going to be framed as like, well, he won three titles, two of them when he was sort of the leading super team. And then the rest of the time, you know, the Spurs were there and the Warriors were there. And it was just, you know, tough for any one player to kind of lead his team uh, against, you know, these these amazing collections of talent. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's pretty insane. Like we mentioned year 15, year 15, year 15, all this stuff over and over during this postseason. If you look back and you give LeBron like perfect health, if you run the simulations, like a computer simulation, right? You give LeBron perfect health. You give him all his statistics that he's put up. Uh, you give him almost like just average collections of teammates over that 15 year period. Doesn't it seem a little strange? He's only won three. I mean, given how good he is and given how long he's been considered the best player, how many all NBA first teams he's made. I mean, you would almost expect him if you just ran the simulation a thousand times, like, don't you think he would have more than three titles? Like Ben, listen, in in 40% of the simulations or something like that. You're inching towards some hot LeBron takes today. And I think you need to just embrace it. He quit in the finals. He hasn't won enough titles. Just go there, man. Oh boy. Live your truth. Oh boy. I, I don't know. I'm not going to call him a disappointment. Is I would Durant never better do that. than LeBron? Less, yes or no? Well, we'll save that for next year's <laughs> Top 100 pod. <laughs> no. Let's, no. Breaking news on that. But I, I don't know. I, it just seems a little strange that he could have three titles out of 15 years, given how dominant this stretch has been and all the finals. And I do think that, I mean, if there is one way that this finals loss does alter his legacy. It's just the idea that uh, when you're done, you're going to look at this stretch of eight straight finals or nine finals appearances, however long this keeps going on. And you're going to say like, wow, all these different teams found ways to beat him. And even though each one of those losses can be explained and he was almost always on the worst team in those finals matchups, I think there is like this accumulative effect, which you know, at some point you're like, wow, it's kind of weird. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, if this guy's really going to be considered Jordan, like, how come he didn't? His teams didn't dominate the league for a long stretch. How come there was other super teams outperforming him at multiple times of his career? 
Well, look, man, the fact remains, LeBron has still not beaten a healthy John Wall Wizards team. So to me, he's good, but we don't really know if he's great yet. And we'll have to kind of wait and see what where the rest of his career goes. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, it's nice to know you're back to being a Wizards fan. The no. last couple of months were a trying time, <laughs> keeping up with your shifting allegiances. Celtics and then the Cavaliers, Rodney Hood's number one fan. I'm glad you're back home. Can I that, that feels one thing where you should before be. Before we move on here, rereading this Pirate LeBron question, if by some chance LeBron does stay in Cleveland this year and we we have to watch Warriors-Cavs 5 next June, he does need to introduce an eye patch into the finals or something. He st- needs We need props. If LeBron is going to be losing in four or five games every year, he's got to make it a little bit more interesting for us. I think he, if that would help his legacy. I am prepared to declare right now we will not see Warriors Cavs five. God, I hope not. Next year, (laughs) Warriors Cavs four was a lot to deal with. But uh, look, it's now the off season. We've got some rapid fire questions to get to. But first, Ben, today's show is also brought to you by One Blade. So tell me about One Blade. Andrew, I came home and my One Blade razor was waiting for me. My goodness, it looks like, in the best possible way to frame this, it looks like a weapon of war. It's that (laughs) well handcrafted. If you want to go to war with your whiskers, Andrew, take the one-blade razor with you. And look, if you've ever had a professional shave from the barbershop, you know how it can change not only how you look, but also how you feel. That baby smooth skin, the confidence you feel knowing that you look great. Now you can get that same barbershop feeling at home with the one blade razor. This thing is so legit, Andrew. I don't know if you've put it to the test yet, but your baby soft skin will never be softer than after you use this razor. That's right. One blade will give you the best shave of your life with no razor burn. It's been obsessively engineered to be the optimal tool for performance shaving from the perfect pivot and weight to the finest materials such as high-grade German stainless steel. It is very substantial, and uh, I I had my first shave with it last night. I lied when I said I had a shave with it on the last podcast because it was sent home, but it is great. It's it's very solid, and you have to be careful because it's a serious razor, so it's one of those where you, you... run the risk of like a a real cut if you're not careful. But uh, I loved it. It was the closest shaved I've had in a long time. And it's an heirloom quality razor, something you can pass down for generations. Each one is hand assembled and serial numbered. And each one blade is backed by a full 60 day money back guarantee and lifetime warranty. So if your family has been asking what you want for Father's Day, or you don't know what to get your dad for Father's Day, check out this URL, onebladeshave.com slash floor. My dad heard our last podcast, Ad Read Andrew, and he let it slip that he might want one of these. So I'm looking into <laughs> it. I'm investigating it. I don't want to give it away in case he's listening right now. But just for Father's Day, you can also receive a free Yeti Rambler, which is a very fancy uh cup you know for your coffee or your ice water your benegrino whatever it might be andrew uh that comes free with all razor purchases for father's day spoil him he deserves it visit onebladeshave.com 
slash floor. All right. Now, couple off-season questions. We're just sort of dipping our toes in the waters here. We're starting slow because in the next couple weeks are going to get pretty wild. But first, Danny says, Hey, Andrew and Ben, you guys mustn't be afraid to dream of something a little bigger this summer. At the end of your last podcast, I was wondering, why do we have to stop at two super teams? So he lays out a couple different teams here. Super team number one is the Warriors. Nothing new there. Super team number two, Paul George to Houston this summer and Chris Paul resigns. Think about it. I actually think PG is the best fit for the Rockets, even better than LeBron. Super team number three, Anthony Davis to Boston. AD, Hayward, and Kyrie, plus whatever is left, sounds like a pretty good team. Parentheses, fuck Boston, though. Sorry, Elizabeth. Um, And then super team number four is LeBron to Philly, and J.J. Redick has to resign in this scenario for them to actually be competitive against the other super teams listed above. But they could maybe even throw in a Ben Simmons trade to get some more shooters. Anything is possible, he says. So what say you, Ben, to this scenario? I, the, the thing that gets me most excited is the idea of Paul George in Houston. Well, I got to hand it to Ryan. He named basically every team that's in the market for a superstar and every superstar in this player. So congratulations. He accounted for <laughs> basically everything, Andrew. I guess my takeaway from his you know, extended fever dream here, is it weird to think that maybe Paul George is sort of the real f- X factor for this uh, offseason rather than LeBron? Because like... Like, for example, if LeBron stays in Cleveland, like, the only way he's going to get back to the finals in my eyes is if somehow Paul George goes there, right? Mm -hmm. Paul George would be the single best player outside of LeBron to add to Houston. I think you could make an argument, and I see did that maybe Paul George to Houston would be a cleaner fit in terms of, you know, him playing a more supporting role and not needing the ball uh, quite as much. And if he went to either Boston or Philly, let's say they strike out on LeBron and somehow decide to turn their attention to Paul George— those teams become really intriguing finals candidates, you know, basically no questions asked. And then the Lakers thing on top of all of it, which is sort of the the real wild card, but if he goes to the Lakers and he goes there with another superstar as a package, that team is a heck of a lot more relevant than they've been for the last five years. So all this attention during the finals on LeBron and KD, what's going to happen with those guys during the summer, I do think we've sort of forgotten about the Paul George factor and Maybe that's why he decides to be, you know, playoff P and loose lips Paul. He doesn't want us to forget about him when his team's, you know, <laughs> out for the last three rounds of the playoffs. But he's still a very, very good player who could absolutely turn a good team into a super team. And I, I guess that's my takeaway. Yeah. And it's funny with Paul George. I think the idea of Paul George fits so perfectly on like five different teams. The reality of Paul George is a little bit trickier. I mean, this wasn't a great year for him in OKC, and I think him maxing out his potential depends on how much he's willing to embrace the like rich man's Iguodala role versus being poor man's KD or poor man's Kobe somewhere. And I think the one of the one of the things that makes him in Houston attractive is the idea that like he's not really going to have an option because the ball is going to be in Chris Paul's hands. The ball is going to be in James Harden's hands. And then he becomes like twice as dangerous operating on the wing. And those guys are going to be able to get him the ball in, in places where he's comfortable in, in ways that Russell Westbrook wasn't really able to do. Um, 
So that would be fun as hell. I think, honestly, reading this, my my biggest hope for the next few weeks is that Houston has the ability to trade Ryan Anderson before July 1st. And that's like, a, it's a big question mark. I, I, I would shock me if some team around the league is willing to take like Ryan Anderson and three first round picks that are probably going to be in the like 25 to 30 range from Houston. But uh, if if they can clear that space, then free agency gets like several measures more insane. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like Paul George. I, I agree with you. He he would definitely make Philly more attractive if that's where he ends up. And then suddenly LeBron has to try and like engineer his way there. And L.A. I mean, LeBron and Paul George may not be enough but it also i think at this point we might be downplaying how good they could be together out there um and and the lakers would still have more room to kind of wheel and deal around them so it's all on the table right now yeah i guess the one portion of his scenario that i wasn't really feeling was the anthony davis part of it can we agree anthony davis is not moving this summer or do you think he's in play yeah we can agree we got some pushback on the last podcast when i mentioned that anthony davis whoever lands anthony davis is going to be the team that wins the title after the warriors and some pelicans fan named Corey wrote in it was like why is sharp still beating this drum like i still don't think he's gonna be in new orleans long term but i agree that like he was so successful the, the this spring and the Pelicans ownerships like certainly every everything I've heard makes it seem like they are not going to trade him and could very well wait until he hits free agency before they lose him. Um, but so yes, I agree that that's not happening. Unfortunately, it would be fun as hell. Though. Okay, here's my last thought, real quick on this scenario. We mentioned earlier LeBron saying how he wants to play basically with more cerebral players or just have a smarter environment. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like the San Antonio Spurs, Andrew? But here's my curveball for people who are sick of me making the San Antonio case for LeBron. When you think about the most cerebral organizations around the league right now, isn't Boston top three at this point with Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge and the smart, shrewd moves their ownership has made? If LeBron is seeking smarter talent around him and more organizational structure, is it possible that Boston has actually outflanked San Antonio? You know, putting aside Golden State, because yeah. I think they're number one right now. Has Boston outflanked San Antonio as like the destination for the intelligent franchise player? <laughs> so, okay, first of all, there's room to make some comments about Kyrie and his flat eartherism there. But we won't do that. Uh, I think you're right that Boston has surpassed the Spurs and, and almost taken the Spurs formula and, and made it even more effective the last couple of years. I do. I just want to reiterate that I think that if you if you had Danny Ainge and the Celtics people, if you caught them in an honest moment, they would be like, honestly, I fucking hate LeBron. <laughs> and if you caught LeBron in an honest moment. They, he would say the exact same thing about the Celtics. Like these people have spent the last 10 years loathing each other. And so the idea that he would go to the Boston is just like beyond something that I'm willing to entertain. But, uh, you know, all bets are off. Like nothing would, would shock me this summer. 
let me ask you this. If you're the Celtics and LeBron says, I will sign with you this summer, but we have to change the jersey colors from green, would you do it? <laughs> They've already kind of done that. The Celtics have been wearing black like far too often, like at least 25 games this season. They wore those awful black Celtics jerseys. So I'm sure like they're willing to do whatever um, to to get the right superstar. I just don't know if they would look at LeBron and be like, he's the guy. He's he's how we put this whole thing over the top. I love it. Andrew Sharp reports the Celtics are willing to do whatever, including changing their branding to land LeBron James. Run with it, people. Run with it. Please stop this Andrew Sharp reports bit. Um, (laughs) But uh, a couple more questions. Kyle says, as a longtime Clippers fan, which of these three unlikely scenarios should I hope for the most? One, Steve Ballmer and the NBA do the right thing and move the team to Seattle. Two, they find a way to move into the top four and pick Luka Doncic. Three, they find a way to move Danilo Gallinari's contract. What do you think? I think if he's a longtime Clippers fan, he can't be rooting for the team to leave. I didn't really get that. Uh, Maybe he's from a different country. To me, I do think, though, the Clippers immediately become like, a lot more respectable if they go to Seattle and it's probably never going to happen because I, I know Ballmer is angling for a new stadium in LA, but like, I don't know, a fresh start wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for that organization. Yeah. He's trying to put a new stadium right down the block for me, Andrew. I wouldn't be complaining about that at all. You're telling me no hour long commute to the games. <laughs> well, Let's do it. Look, Let's sign up. If they move to Seattle, both of us could move to Seattle and watch them there. It'd be, it'd be great for the podcast. That's you're really thinking like chess. This isn't checkers for you, Andrew. You're thinking two steps ahead like LeBron. I like this mentality. Um, I think the answer to his question is to move up and take Doncic. That'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be fun. I, I don't know I don't know what the Clippers are going to do. It seems like they're a very smart team and, and have managed the last 12 months about as well as you could hope for. Um, the, the Blake two-step was actually perfectly executed. And I feel like there's room for them to make some noise. And they're kind of like the a sleeping giant in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know that that trade was so perfectly executed when it led the other GM to get fired. You know, it's like that's, all, that's <laughs> yeah. how you know you made the right move at the right time. Uh, I think they're, they're in need of a new franchise guy, though. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I'm not sure what's going to happen with DeAndre. And if he stays, great. But... He's not a franchise face, right? And where they're picking uh, with the two picks late in the lottery, isn't that the exact type of situation where if you don't have a franchise player, you would be trying to aggressively package together assets to move up to try to find one? Because you really need to have somebody you can sell. I mean, for all the jokes we made up Blake Griffin's expense, you know, he worked as the head of a billboard, right? He worked as the guy all around the city on the advertising. He works as a guy who can sell tickets to casual fans. The Clippers have a different identity right now, kind of this blue-collar, scrappy-type uh, vibe. And obviously, you know, Lou Williams is really fun to watch, but they need, you know, a guy who could really put some butts in some seats. And I'm not sure you're going to get him at 12 and 13 in this draft. I think that they should be looking to move up if they can. Yeah, and I also wonder whether they're a dark horse for Kawhi, too, um, because that would be, like, strangely on on brand for Kawhi. I, I can't really picture him on the Lakers 
But the Clippers are weird enough, and obviously he's from the L.A. area. Like I'm just picturing Kawhi arm-in-arm with the Clippers' goofy bird mascot. You know, it's like if you could picture two people on the complete opposite of the personality <laughs> spectrum, it's the Clippers' mascot and Kawhi Leonard. It could be an odd couple commercial. You know, you could sort of, if he has to leave San Antonio, so there's no more H-E-B commercials, might as well put him in... Uh, in some commercials for some LA grocery store shades with the Clippers mascot. That's exactly what I'm imagining. I'm imagining like Kawhi stone faced next to that nightmare bird. <laughs> and it would weirdly, it would dovetail nicely with everything that he has been about the last few years. But um, can you, can you imagine being a fly on the wall for lunch between Balmer and Kawhi? I mean, Balmer is just not <laughs> stopping. <laughs> He's just going for an hour and a half. Quiet Leonard sitting there is not even saying a word. I mean, it could work perfectly. Yeah. You know? Maybe, maybe they're both comfortable in that element. Well, I'm sure. I don't know the next couple of weeks, there's so many different balls in the air, but uh, Kawhi is another one. So moving on though, I've got some, some Doncic thoughts that we need to get to, but first, our final ad of the day, today's episode of Open Floor, is also brought to you by our friends, our best friends, the gang over at Buffalo Wild Wings. Ben, tell me about this time of year. Look, Andrew, this time of year, it's for two things, dads and grads. You knew it before <laughs> I even said it because it's just synonymous with June, and Buffalo Wild Wings has you covered for both the dads and the grads. Give them the gifts that they want. Before you buy dad another tie or that grad a balloon that will probably just float away, why would you possibly do that? What a terrible idea. Ask yourself this. Does my dad or grad like wings or sports or better yet, do they like both? If the answer is yes, then get them a Buffalo Wild Wings gift card. Right now, if you purchase a gift card for $30 or more in store or online, they will give you a $5 bonus to keep for yourself. Everybody wins, Andrew, under this scenario. That's a gift that gives back, Ben. How generous of you. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. As always, terms and conditions apply, but go get yourself a Buffalo Wild Wings gift card or get your dad or your grad, whoever is special in your life, hook them up at B-dubs and... Uh, on that note, I think it's time to get back into it. Home stretch here. You ready? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a big day for us. We've got three ads in one episode, and none of them was for my Instagram account. So we're, <laughs> we're really rolling. Well, <laughs> Ben.Golliver on Instagram as we promote. But go ahead, continue. You know, one of the reasons I felt it was time to declare ceasefire on KD is I woke up at like 7.30 this morning to like two extensive comments on your Instagram account attacking me for Mike Durant thoughts. And I just was like, you know what? I, I don't want to be part of this world anymore. <laughs> Let's move on. So uh, shout out but, to that. But lady. for the people who are, yeah, the people who are lucky enough to follow me on Instagram, they saw the minivan, Andrew. I put it on my Instagram story. Finally. So I hope you got a, a look. And we should also do a shout out. We have got a fan account out there at Open Floor Globe. The guy does a tremendous job of capturing the mood of our podcast in social media form. We're not paying him a single cent, Andrew. So the least we could do is tell people to follow at Open Floor Globe on Instagram. Absolutely. Shout out Open Floor Globe and shout out to Marcos, a longtime listener and a Phoenix Suns fan who writes in and says, recently, 
The Draft Express scouting video highlighted DeAndre Ayton's question marks as defensive impact, offensive identity, and quote-unquote, what's his elite skill? So basically his question marks are pretty much everything. And in Arizona media, the old school is irrationally driving the Aiton bandwagon. Sharp, we need some Doncic people on our side. It's easy to find big men who give you 80% of what Aiton offers. Where do we find what Luka offers? Amazing passing, outside shooting, versatility, winning mentality. Um, okay, good question. We're going to talk about... Uh, a, gr- a great question. <laughs> great question. Uh, 10 out of 10. But uh, let's hold Aiton until later in the week because I, I wrote about him in a feature that will run later this week. But I do want to talk about Luca because with apologies to Marcos, I just I don't totally see it with Doncic. And it feels like I've been out of step with the rest of the basketball internet. But it sort of feels like a case of Twitter going way overboard on a guy. I think he might be great, but there's a lot more uncertainty than people are acknowledging. So first, let me ask you, Ben, do you know anything about Luka Doncic at this stage? I mean, I've seen the incredible stats that he put up. I've seen some of the highlight reels. Um, he looks good. It all, And when you watch the tape, though, he doesn't completely pop mm-hmm. like you would expect for a guy who is like the most heralded European prospect basically ever at his stage. I mean, isn't that a fair yeah, totally. label to put on him? Have we seen a guy more hyped than him? Uh, so it's a little bit surprising. At the same time, that's a good league over there, you know? So I am kind of drawn into the camp with the people who are looking at his his numbers and saying like, look, you got to take this guy really seriously because uh, he does it with the ball in his hands. He did it consistently. He did it against guys who are a lot more physically mature than him. And I would expect if he got into an NBA quality training program Uh i could see a significant improvement in his body and you know i think that's probably pretty obvious when you look at him and that to me would get me excited you know because uh when you have the the mental side of the game when you have the playmaking the timing uh you know just the the feel and i i think he definitely has those things I could see him being a very, very special player here in a couple years. Yeah, so you actually hit on part of what I find most annoying, I guess, is is everyone keeps harping on the ACB side of this. Like, that, that's the league he played in over in Spain, and he's been active in EuroLeague as well. There are like three or four different leagues similar to soccer. But there's been a bunch of people saying it's much better than college. It's the second best league in the world, and... I don't know if that's true. I think it's technically the second best league in, in the world, but I, I, I also think there's still a fairly significant gap between what Luca has been seeing in Europe and what he'll see in the NBA. And at, I'm not a guy who's down on international players. Like I wrote a 10,000 word oral history on international guys in the NBA. But, you know, Nikola Miritich was similarly great over there and you know uh Sergio Rodriguez was dominating that league a couple years ago and Sergio Yule who's a great player for the Spanish national team has been dominant in ACB all of whom are good players but not really stars and with Luca what freaks me out and you mentioned this as well it's like he looks slow even in ACB and EuroLeague and he's only hitting 30 percent of his threes and 
I think he could definitely play in the NBA as a starter, but unless he's going to suddenly start hitting 44% of his threes, like I don't really know how he becomes a star with that athleticism. Like people compare him to James Harden all the time and say he's going to look like a bigger James Harden and be kind of a, a point guard who's also a scorer. Like leaving aside what position Doncic is going to play, like Harden is an incredible athlete and his first step is co- like completely ridiculous and Doncic doesn't have any of that to his game and I'm just not sure you can be a superstar without that level of athleticism and the ability to sort of get wherever you want on the court let me ask you this let me frame it this way and I know you want to talk about eight more later your piece on him was was very revealing and it was you really captured his personality and and what he's like off the court and and how that could kind of steer his career but I'm wondering Let's say Phoenix did kind of shock the world here and take Doncic one over Aiton. Mm-hmm. What are the odds that Aiton makes them look terrible for that pick? Like, how confident are you that he's going to be the guy? Like, because I think we can agree, even if Luke is not a superstar, he's going to be a good NBA player, right? Yeah, like he's not. There's not a lot of bust potential there, right? No, I th- I think that Luca is his prob his most likely scenario, and a scout mentioned this to me a, a couple weeks ago, is like Joe Johnson a- in the modern era, and uh, and I think that's a very good player, and if he can get up to like thirty seven percent from three, like he's going to be an above average starter, but. The idea that you're passing on a future superstar it is mentioned a lot. And people are looking at the Suns as if they're crazy for even considering this. And it's not like he's not a sure thing as a superstar. Gotcha. Well, so fl- flip it around then. So let's say they did pass on Aiton. What are the odds that Aiton's going to make them look dumb? Like how, you know, are there going to be in 10 years the people who, you know, Katie over Odin? Would it be something like that? Like, does he have that? Is he that locked in as being sort of a franchise-changing center-type prospect where they just are forced to take him. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Is Phoenix boxed in, forced to take Aiden here? You know, what I would say is that the the Suns don't want to be here again, and I think that Aiden is the player who's most likely to fulfill mo- most of his upside. Like, when people talk about his upside, I think it's more realistic with Aiton than it is with anyone else in the top five or six of this draft. And uh, the idea, I don't know if he's going to be dominant enough to make other teams regret not not taking him. I don't know if he's going to be like such a league changing talent that like he starts getting guys fired uh, if he goes like two or three. But I do think that he's, he's, a really safe bet to be very, very good over the next 10 years where some of these other guys, including Doncic, you know, there's a wider spectrum of outcomes. Okay. Let me, let me put it to you this way. If their team next year is, uh, Aiton, Bender, Josh Jackson, Devin Booker, and then you trade for Terry Rozier as your point guard, is that like the NBA league pass new darling. I mean, is that the team that everyone's, you know, falling over themselves to watch, even though they maybe they're only like 35 wins or, or 38 wins, something like that. I mean, is that sort of going to play into what you're saying about how quick this turnaround could be if they take him, right? Or, or how it could be a faster timeline maybe than developing a guy like Luca? Yeah. Could you see McDonough, you know, fighting for his job here over these last few years, 
talking himself into that sort of quick rebuild where you you cash in some assets, get a Rogier, plug Aiton into big minutes, and that's your squad. I mean, that's not the worst team in the world, is it? Yeah, and I I think we should all be a little bit careful about this because we've done this before with the Suns, where I think even last year we are coming in, at least I was, talking myself into like, the Suns is the fun young team, and then you get in there like by november i had a thousand yard stare every time i was watching a suns game it was just very very dark so i don't want to put too many expectations on them going forward but i do think that deandre aiden specifically is someone who is going to look much better in the nba than he did at arizona and so i understand why people who watched him at arizona would say like you know i don't really see it but I think he was playing out of position and playing in a it's like bunched up system and style of play in college that like doesn't really feature what he does best. And so I, I think coming into next year, I would I would bet Aiton has a better year than Luka Doncic. So how are, how far are you going to take your Doncic skepticism? Do you take <laughs> him at know. two, or are you taking are you taking somebody else? Or oh, Luca's plunging down your board? Is that what's hap- what's happening? It's hard to say because I don't really love the other guys at the at the top of this draft either. Um, I think you know what's what's interesting about the top ten this year is that you can talk yourself into the upside of a lot of these guys, but then there are also like bigger downsides with with a number of the players at the top, whether it's Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, Trey Young. So I think Luca is in that second tier of guys where he's definitely gonna like every team in the top five should give him a, a very long look, um, and he might make sense in Sacramento in part because he would be such a nice stabilizing presence next to De'Aaron Fox. And I could actually see that backcourt working out really well. But again, all of Doncic's future and upside depends on his ability to like turn himself into a dead eye three point shooter. And that's kind of a a question mark. Can we get a prediction on where you think his best fit would be like a reasonable best fit? I mean, he's not going to drop out of the top five, is he? No. And I think his, his best case scenario is if a team if a playoff team looks at him and says, this dude can help us right away, we're going to trade into the top five and try to grab him. Um, the other thing I would add is, I think if you're looking at the top five as presently constituted, h- him landing in Memphis would probably be his best case scenario. He gets to play off uh, Mike Conley. Because again, I don't think he's quick enough to really excel as a point guard in this league. Uh, but playing with Mike Conley and Marcus Saul would be pretty awesome for him, and he could also help them early on. And uh, so I, that would probably be my ideal scenario for Doncic. Man, I, I'm just thinking about this from like his people's standpoint. You know, it's like talking yourself <laughs> into Memphis at this. <laughs> that's a rough. You know, I mean, yeah, it might be better than Sacramento, but boy, you know, like, do you come over from Europe if, if that's what's waiting for you? You know, do you try to flex your way out of some of these spots? I guess I would be thinking about it. Yeah, I'm sure all the options are on the table for them at this point, but he has officially indicated that he is coming. He's entered this draft, so um, so we'll have to wait and see where he ends up. But uh, I don't know. Should we, should we cap it there? Uh, one more email, actually, from William, who says, hey, guys, 
four whole months without the NBA, I just decided to start watching the Lakers entire regular season all over again. Game one is tonight, and I'm hiding the score results on my Roku. That is one of the darker emails we have received all year. (laughs) The depths of NBA addiction. I don't know, man. Do you have any comments? He's going to be so excited in about four or five days once he sees Lonzo with these triple-doubles. Oh, man. Lonzo (laughs) has got a younger triple-double than LeBron. You have no idea how far this this could go. Yeah, I think... I have a prediction. He's not going to make it through all 82, Andrew. I think he's going to do sort of what I did. He's going to make it about, you know, 40% of the way through the season, and then he's going to start checking out what's going on in Lithuania. (laughs) He's going to start downloading some of Alonzo's bars. I think he's going to go off in other directions. You know what? I'm not sure he's going to be able to make it through. For William's sake, I really hope that he doesn't make it all the way through the Lakers regular season. That's a red flag. This was... The other email that I thought of reading this earlier is, do you remember when somebody emailed us asking what we thought of the 2020 NBA draft prospects because that was the next time the Nets had a first-round pick? So you were the racing to the, the bottom of the darkest cave is what you're trying to get exactly. at? Exactly. Like we were, we were asked for our takes on high school sophomores because that's where Nets fans were. We're thinking, and uh, I don't think this is quite as as dark as that, but it's up there. And I will just say, I'm going the other direction. I've completely detoxed from basketball the past few days. I watched the Americans finale. I'm catching up on a bunch of good TV. Might check out some books over the next couple of days. Just try to really shut it all down before the draft. So, uh, but respect to anybody who's who's not doing that and ready to just dive back into the, the regular season. Well, that would be me, but I do have one recommendation along those lines, Andrew. People should check out, this is like the 19th plug of the podcast, but if you're still listening, you want it. (laughs) Check out Sports Illustrated's World Cup 2018 preview. The guys who wrote the team-by-team blurbs did an awesome job. I follow the soccer basically only during the World Cup. I don't really pay attention, you know, to the leagues and all that. So it was great to get a sense for the storylines, the biggest stars, and so on and so forth. And an added bonus, if you check out that World Cup 2018 preview issue, Andrew, is that you get the DeAndre Ayton feature that you wrote right. and a LeBron James thing from Lee Jenkins, too. So this is the dream issue. So if uh, you're looking for a little balance in your life, you know, go the soccer angle. If you're not, then, you know, dive into LeBron and Ayton. I mean, it's a win-win uh, on all sides. But, Andrew, the Open Floor Globe can email us at openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. As you can tell and as I can tell, we already got some great questions uh, for the offseason. Got us off to a great start here. And we'll be back later this week to talk even more uh, about the draft and free agency and all those other situations. So keep those emails coming. Also, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Search Open Floor. It's two words. Find our page. Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. Andrew, until later this week, I'll talk to you. All right, man. I will talk to you soon. Go Lakers for our guy, William. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.